Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 12. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. If you've been with us, you know that people are coming to Jerusalem from all over the world to celebrate the Passover. Here in John chapter 12, we are in the final week of the life of Jesus. It's six days before the Passover, and Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. And I told you the last time that this isn't just any road. This is a road of humility. It's a road of the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It's a road of obedience. It's a road leading to the crucifixion. It's a road leading to shame, the pain, the beating, the whipping, the brutality, the agony. And Jesus knows what's ahead of him. He knows that they want to kill him. And yet, knowing what awaits him, he came into Jerusalem in the most public way possible. Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem, his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday. And he's on the back of a donkey. And at the same time, there's an all points bulletin out for his life as he rides into the city. This chapter, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. This chapter ends Jesus' public ministry. Jesus makes his final public appeal to Israel. These are Jesus' parting words, if you will. This chapter wraps up the Messiah's call. Chapter 12, the call to Israel. Chapter 12 is his final invitation to Israel, and then Jesus disappears. And John explains Israel's unbelief and the result of Israel's unbelief. And after this chapter... Jesus will only deal with those who already know him and love him, even up to his death and following his resurrection. And that's why I always encourage you. I've been encouraging you. When you hear the voice of God, harden not your heart, because there will come a time when God will stop speaking. Is anybody listening? There'll come a time when God will stop speaking. I think of Noah. As God said, my spirit will not always strive with men. You got to understand that God does not endlessly strive with man. And to this day, you know, as I was preparing this sermon this weekend, I thought to myself, you know, to this day, I don't understand what is people's problem with Jesus. He only wants to bless people. He never did anything to anybody. And yet people hate him. What is people's problem? I don't know. I don't know why people refuse him. Let me make it clear. Jesus came into this world born of a virgin. God in human flesh, remember, hailed incarnate deity. He lived quietly, humbly in Nazareth. And then after 30 years, he announced to Israel that he was God. He announced that he was a living Christ. He announced that he was a living water. He announced that he was the bread of life. 
He announced that he was the light of the world. He announced that he was the good shepherd. He announced that he was the resurrection and the life. He offered to men real life based on repentance and faith, and men refused it. And every single claim that he made about himself, and if you know your Bibles, you know this is right. Every single claim that he made about himself, he backed it up with signs and wonders. Miracle after miracle. I'm waiting while you clap your hands. Yes, I am. Miracle after miracle, matchless words and incredible, all-surpassing love, and men still refuse him. I don't understand. He offers forgiveness and love and grace and peace and hope and blessings and abundant life and joy and eternal life and a lot of other stuff, and men still refuse him. They doubted him and hated him and tried to kill him. You know the story. And they finally execute him. Unbelievable. But listen, his crucifixion became his coronation. You got a pen? Write, these, write this down. I'm going to give you three major themes that we're going to talk about this morning in this text, and I want you to write these down. Number one, we're going to talk about the cross is eminent, verse 23 through 28. The cross is eminent. Number two, the pain is great. We're going to find that in verse 27. Number three, we'll talk about the need is urgent. The need is urgent in verses 36, 35, and 36. The cross is eminent. The pain is great and the need is urgent. Come on, y'all say that with me. The cross is eminent. Come on, everybody say it with me. Come on. The cross is eminent. The pain is great and the need is urgent. I've titled this sermon, Jesus Announces His Death. And what we're going to do is we're going to pick up in verse 27, kind of where we left off in 26. But we'll look back at 23 and tie things together. Stay with me. You'll, you'll, you'll get it. You'll pick it up. All right. John chapter 12, saints, we pick up in verse 27. If you're looking at verse 27, I need you to say a hearty amen. amen. Now, my soul, Jesus says, is troubled. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. And others said an angel had spoke to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world be, will be cast out. And I, verse 32, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will, what saints, draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he should die. So verse 33 is a commentary on verse 32. Do you see that? Makes it very, very clear what he's talking about. The people answered him and said, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? And then Jesus said to them a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, do what saints believe in that light. Why? That you may become sons of that light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Point number one, the cross is eminent. Last time we saw a very dramatic scene as Jesus rise into the city. 
And there's a crowd lining in the streets, you know, and throwing clothes in the streets and cheering and praising and rejoicing because they believe Jesus has come to reign as king and deliver them from Roman oppression. But Jesus didn't come to deliver them from Rome. Jesus came to deliver them from sin. Somebody say amen. He came to deliver them from sin. And, and he came to suffer as a servant. And the people are waving palm branches. We have Palm Sunday. The people are waving palm branches and they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Look at verse 20 and peruse with me to verse 26. Some Greeks or some Gentiles came to worship at the feast. Look at verse 21. They came to Philip and said, we want to see Jesus. You know, I have written in my margin. So do I. (laughs) Write that in your margin. So do I. And look at verse 22, Philip told Andrew and they both told Jesus in verse 23, Jesus said the hour, what saints, has come that the son of man should be glorified. And these Gentiles, listen, actually set off a chain of events for Jesus and the cross. Look at verse 24, Jesus said, unless that grain of wheat fall into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But that's when it produces grain or bears fruit. In other words, Jesus is saying salvation can't come to the Jew and deliverance can't come to the nation and redemption can't come to the Gentiles unless I die. Number two, point number two, the pain is great. Look at verse 27. Jesus completely changes the scene. He he rides by the people on the donkey. And I'm sure all the people that he ministered to were lying in the streets. Zacchaeus was probably there. Blind Bartimaeus was probably there. All of the seven Marys were probably there. Everybody was there lying in the streets. There's hundreds of people and they're all saying praise. You know, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise. And Jesus is riding by on a donkey. You got that scene? He's riding by and he's probably looking to the left and looking to the right. And, 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 and people are watching him as he's riding this donkey. But listen, what the people saw and what the Lord was doing was a big difference. The people saw Jesus entering in splendor to take the throne. Jesus entered in with a humble spirit to accept his fate. They smelled victory in the air. Jesus tasted suffering and death. The people thought that he was the man of the hour and Jesus knew his hour had come. So Jesus enters the city and he heads directly for the temple. And it's there, he said, verse 27, my soul is troubled. Now this word troubled, I want you to write it down. It means constantly troubled. In other words, Jesus was constantly, you know, this blew me away when I kind of dug into this this weekend. Jesus was constantly haunted by the cross. He was constantly haunted by the cross. Now, I understand we're not haunted by the cross. We actually bling it out. I saw this guy the other day. He had a cross one was bigger than me. The I'm telling you, they had, they had, he had more diamonds in that thing. I said, I see you, do you? I see you. Yeah, and that thing was like, I'm like, I need glasses. Goodness gracious. He said, hey, that thing blinged out. And the cross is not, it's not haunting us, but it haunted Jesus. The fact that he was headed to the cross, he knew he was to be slain from the foundation of the world. He knew that every breath he took was one breath nearer to the cross. He knew the plan that God designed for his eternity. He knew what was about to take place. The thing that he waited for all throughout eternity was about to happen. The hour has come, the hour of his death. And keep in mind, when Jesus left heaven, he came to earth and he knew that death was involved. There was no surprise. There was no backup plan. This was not a plan B. If you've been with us in John, you know 
Jesus has been talking about the hour, the hour of his death over and over since we've been in this book. John chapter two, verse four, John chapter seven, verse six, John seven thirty. John 8, 20, John 12, 23, John 13, 1, John 17, 1, all talk about the hour of his death. When Jesus talks about the hour, he's not talking about 60 minutes. He's talking about the hour or the time when it's time to die, the cross. And here in John 12, Jesus says, save me from this hour. And look at verse 27 again. It seems that these words are digging deep in his soul. Because Jesus understands his death means our salvation and his joy. Somebody say amen, please. He knows that death means the curse of pain and sin will be lifted. He also realizes that his death means agony to his soul. So listen, you want to talk about anxiety? Jesus knows what it is to be anxious. Jesus knows what real anxiety is. People are like, I've got anxiety, I've got anxiety, I need Prozac. Jesus knows what it is to be anxious and to be and to have anxiety. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter four, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Luke chapter 22, if you've been with us, it tells us that Jesus crossed the brook of Kidron and or the Kidron Valley. And he was filled with anxiety because he knows what awaits him. And so he enters the garden of Gethsemane and he begins to pray. And while praying, the pressure is so heavy on him that he's praying so hard that he begins to sweat great drops of what, saints? Blood, hematidosis, they call that. And he's praying and he says, Father, if there's any other way for man to be saved, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Now listen, Jesus, listen, if you don't hear nothing else I say, please hear this. Jesus did not want to go to the cross. He did not. He said, Father, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So by the very fact that Jesus did go to the cross is proof to us that there is no other way for man to be saved because Jesus himself said, Father, if there is any other way for man to be saved, then let's go with that. But he went to the cross and that tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life and no man can come to the Father except through him. Because Jesus said, if there's another way, well, Father, let's go with that. He didn't want to go to the cross because he understood the suffering and the agony and the pain that comes along with that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he did what, saints? Endure the cross. Oh, y'all not with me. He did what? Endure the cross and what? Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice he endured the cross, not enjoyed the cross. The joy was not in the dying. Are you listening? The joy was in the result of the dying. The joy was in what was accomplished by the dying. Somebody say amen. amen. He didn't enjoy the suffering. So when Jesus says my soul is troubled, he's sensing the suffering. Why? How? Because Jesus, listen, Jesus was a real person. And I think we forget that. Jesus was a real person. Are y'all listening to me or you sleep? Jesus was a real person. 
He was 100% man and 100% God. He was totally human and totally divine. He felt everything that, 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 that took place on that cross. He felt every pain, every aching muscle, every torn piece of flesh, every thorn pierced his blessed brow. He felt every dislocation of every limb. He felt the suffocation, the gra- grasping for breath. He felt the flies, the dripping and dry blood that he couldn't wipe away. He felt the naked shame, the dried mouth, the lips that were cracked. He felt the parched throat. And beyond that, he felt the curse of sin upon himself for every single person in the entire world. And that includes you and that includes me. And for that, we ought to give God some praise and thank him. Because he paid a debt. He paid a debt he did not owe. And I owed a debt I could not pay. Am I right about it? Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he took our debt. Stop and think about that for a minute. Jesus died for the whole world. Jesus didn't die for good folks. Huh? He didn't die because you're good. He didn't die because you're cute. You ain't that cute. Amen. Look at your neighbor and tell me, you ain't that cute. I'm actually feeling a little better right now. Maybe it's kicking in, I don't know. You ain't that cute. He didn't die because you were cute. He died because it was the only way that you could experience heaven. That you could have eternity. He died for that reason. He died for the sins of the world. He died for, think about this, he died for Adolf Hitler. He died for Osama bin Laden. He died for Joseph Mengele. Uh, You don't know who that is, do you? He was known as the angel of death in in the Auschwitz uh, concentration camps. Every child pedophile, every prostitute, every pervert, every evil thought, every wrong thing ever done, the Father has laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. And God the Father will fire down all of his holy wrath on his Son. Verse 27, Jesus knows it's coming. Look at verse 27 and 28 again. Jesus said, my soul is troubled. Father, save me from this hour. Before this purpose, I came into this hour. You see, he's struggling here. And write that in your margins. He's struggling. Jesus says, what should be my prayer at this point? I'm troubled about my death. What do I say to God? Father, save me from this hour. Is that what I say? No. This is the reason I've come. This is my purpose, which tells us Jesus willingly, voluntarily gave his life. He didn't have to. Again, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying. You know the story is 600 soldiers come to arrest one man. That's another sermon. 600 soldiers come to arrest one man. Judas was with them, and Jesus said, friend? I find that fascinating. Jesus said, friend? He didn't say hater. He didn't say backstabber. He said, friend? He didn't say, you hater, you used to sop with me. We ate out of the same bowl, you... Benedict Arnold... (laughs) He didn't say that. He said, friend. He said, why have you come? 
And Peter drew his sword. You know the story. And Jesus said, put away your sword. And then Matthew 26, 53, write it down. Fascinating. Jesus said, or do you think that I cannot now pray to the Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus is saying, I don't have to die this death. If I ask my Father, I'll have 12 legions of angels to come to my rescue now. Jesus could have saved himself and allowed the world to be damned. No, I'm not cussing. Damned is damned down there, damned. <laughs> Amen. He's, I, I, this is going to be on the radio, so I got to make it clear. Because some people are like, oh my gosh, the pastor is over in the pulpit cussing. I ain't know. They... <laughs> Calm down. All right. But instead... Jesus said, Father, glorify thy name. Jesus is saying, if in my death and my agony and my anguish, the curse of sin will be lifted off man, then Father, do it. You see, Jesus is totally into giving glory to God. And listen, the Father is totally into giving glory to Jesus. They both were preoccupied with giving glory to each other and still are. We call that the unity of the Spirit. Then you might ask, how does Jesus' death glorify God? Well, listen, Jesus' death glorifies God because through his death, we understand truth. Stay with me. Through his death, we understand righteousness. Through his death, we understand fully the love of God. John chapter 3, through his death, John chapter 3 becomes a lie. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, come on, say the rest with me, should not perish but have everlasting life. We understand that more fully because of his death. For God, Romans 5, 8, for God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We understand that better through his death. As a matter of fact, the greatest manifestation of God's love took place on the cross. The love of God was never more clear than on the cross. The grace of God was never clearer than on the cross. The satisfaction of the wrath of God is crystal clear because of the cross. The wisdom of God was never more clearer than on the cross. So when Jesus said, Father, glorify thy name, the King Jimmy says in verse 28, then a voice, but the King of Jimmy says, immediately a voice came from heaven. The new King Jimmy says, then a voice. King Jimmy says, immediately a voice. Don't you wish your prayers were answered that fast? A voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now listen, write this down. You got your pen? Write this down. This is the third audible divine testimony to Jesus as the Son of God. The third audible divine testimony from the Father about Jesus as the Son of God. First time at his baptism. The voice of the Father thunders from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The second time we hear his voice again on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 5, as Peter, James, and John, I call them sleepy, grumpy, and dopey, are on the mountain. And Jesus, those are my affectionate names, and Jesus begins to glow. You know the story, and Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus, and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and this is the third time the Father is speaking from heaven and talking about the cross and the death that Jesus would die. And God said, I've glorified your name and will glorify it again. Now, what does that mean? Well, listen, God had glorified Jesus' name his whole life. Think about that. 
Miracle after miracle after miracle, God glorified Jesus. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus was glorified. His name was glorified with mighty signs and wonders. And, and note, he will glorify Jesus' name again in the resurrection. Look at verse 29. The people heard it and they said it sounded like thunder. They thought it was going to rain. Others said, no, it's an angel that spoke. And Jesus said, this voice did not come for my sake, but for yours. In other words, you didn't, Jesus didn't need to hear the audible voice of God. The disciples did because it would strengthen their faith. But Jesus didn't. God could have spoken to Jesus in his heart. The thundering voice of God was heard for the benefit of the disciples and not, and not the people there and not for Jesus. For the disciples and the people, not for Jesus. When God spoke audibly from heaven, he wanted to authenticate and validate his son. Jesus was talking about his death and the father's putting his stamp of approval on it. Look at verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. The ruler of this world will be cast out. The word for world is the word cosmos. It's not the world that you see. It's talking about the world system, the way the world does things, the world system. The world system was judged by its treatment of Jesus at the cross. Did you know that? The world system was judged by his treatment of Jesus at the cross. The cross not only judged the world system, but it also defeated Satan. Someone once said, when heaven bleeds on the cross, hell is defeated by its own schemes. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.